Episode 46 of Gaming NBS, sponsored by darktheater.net, home of the character Folio. Thank you for joining Gaming and BS. We are a podcast covering tabletop gaming, specifically role-playing games and other miscellaneous topics of geekery. I am one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Hello. Good evening. Good morning. How are you? However this finds you. Yes. Yes. (sighs) I'm tired. Awkward pause. Tired? (laughs) Why Why are you tired, Brett? Well, I I got a really late start to head up to my weekend of gaming. I ended up not leaving my place until like 11 at night, which put me up at Wausau at about 2 in the morning. So I was a little, I'm getting old for that shit, so that was kind of old. Got up there, crashed, um, slept in a little bit, but uh, then a long night of gaming on Saturday, which was great. Got up early this morning, Sunday, drove back home. So uh, anyway, it was, it's fun, a lot, of, a lot of cool gaming stuff going on, but just tired. So I have coffee. At... Seven o'clock on Sunday night. Oh yeah, you're hardcore, man. Yeah, I know. I'm just crazy. You drink your coffee black? No. No, I do not. Yeah, sugar. Sugar cream. Lots of sugar. No, not that much. Oh my god, I got. I used to do. I used to do enough to stand the spoon up, but yeah. I can't do that anymore. It's too sweet. I'm a sugar and cream. Add some coffee. I see. Just to add the coffee taste. I cannot stand the. I don't know. Maybe my old age, I'm changing. I'm tolerating the the taste of coffee more and more. Anyways, enough coffee coffee talk. Coffee talk. Let's get into announcements, man. You got one in there. Yeah, I got one in there. So a while back, I put a I put a personal post out on uh, Google Plus and on, out on Facebook. This is one of those weird things, you know. I, I've been I've bashed on Sean and I both kick Kickstarters <laughs> a couple times for uh, failure to deliver and so on and. Well, there was a uh, there was a dude and uh, a couple of their folks started jumping in on uh, Sean Patrick Fan and his Shintar Kickstarter that he has going. It's been going for a while, and um, I've been getting deliveries of product. I've been getting updates. Everything seemed okay, you know. I'm watching it, you know, in, in the side of my eye type of thing. It's happening. I'm getting updates. Shit's going down, and uh, I see this post. I'm like, oh, something about Shintar. Oh, I'm going to read up on that. See what's going on. It was very like, oh my god. This will never ever fully kick. There's ass hattery afoot, you know, craziness going on in the Sean Patrick Fanning camp. This is not going to go well. So I'm like, all right, ooh, this doesn't sound good. I'll dig into it. I posted that or something along those lines. So I started looking around. I'm like, okay, so here's a couple updates I, I forgot to read. All right, no, there's, I'm, I'm seeing updates. Yeah, he was delayed. Okay, reasonable delay. Good product, more stuff coming. Okay, fine, fine, fine. Yep, I did get the last couple things he produced through PDF, which is the format I asked for. Okay, I'm not quite sure what the deal is. Sean reaches out to me over email, and because uh, he's you know noticed me kind of poking around, asking questions and and so forth. And he said, "Hey, Brett, you know what? What are your concerns?" So I said, "Hey, I just I heard this thing, and I just want to get some idea." So Sean's like, "Well, here's here's what I here's my side, here's the deal, so on." I'm like, "Okay, cool, thank you, Sean. Good info. Dude's always been polite and professional." When I've worked with him, I, um, my buddies and I from our dark theater, um, our iPad app, have connected with him. And uh, so I go back <laughs> to the original Facebook post and the people that started the discussion around this isn't, um, isn't going to work, the, uh, the thread took this nasty derogatory 
hammering on Sean and his wife and very personal, stabby, horrible, nasty things being said. I'm like, wow, okay. Exactly. I'm like, time to just back away. So everyone everyone uh, out there who's listening to us gets this already. I'm positive. We're all grown men and women here. But when you hear that type of thing, I just started looking into it. You know, like, oh, what's going on? What's going on? You know what? I can't support this. I'm not going to argue with these folks. So I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to put a little post out there saying, Sean, dude, you know, you, you got this. You know, Patrick, Sean Patrick Fannin, dude, you got it. Go keep working. I, I see no problem. So I'm disappointed that people do that type of thing. It's really annoying because the key words to me and like Kickstarter ranting are like, this thing will never fund. There's no communication or I don't believe something will happen because I have an inside scoop. So like, fuck, what do these people know? But anyway, long way around, I dug into it. I don't see anything that's scaring me. I'm like, okay, so he's a little behind. Could it be faster, sexier, quicker Kickstarter? Sure. But at the end of the day, it's it's cruising along, producing products. Things are happening. I just don't see any concern to it. So um, my re- my uh, my thought to anybody, I've, I've had really good luck talking to Sean uh, Patrick Fannin directly. So reach out to him either on his Facebook or Google Plus. If you got his email, hit him up there. If you have a question about it, try to reach out to the creator. On the Kickstarter. That's where I was with a couple of um, other Kickstarters that I backed and I was not happy. And I, where I started to get pissed off is when I reached out to the creator and tried to look at other avenues to do the research, I got nothing back. No response. All I got was dead air or platitudinous garbage. I'm like, okay, this is not going to go anywhere. Then I get pissed off. But Sean's going to reach out to you. He'll he'll work with you or you know answer questions. At least he's always done it for me. I obviously can't speak for him, but... Anyway, long way around. I'm not worried about the Shine Tar Kickstarter. I think it's still going to go. He's still cranking out good products. So, Sean, I'm not sure if you listen to his brother, but uh, keep up the good work, man. I think you're doing great. You're good. Well, after, I'm back behind after, you. After all that shit, he better listen to us. <laughs> after all that? Yeah, a little free press for him. All right. There you go. That's uh, all I had. That's all Brett has on that. That's all I'm saying about that. Well, I just figured instead of us bitching about game stores for a second, I'd say something nice about somebody oh. who's nice. He's a nice dude in the industry. He d- he does good work. I got my blood boiling again against about game stores this weekend. Ooh, I don't know if we want to go that far. Son of a freaking bitch. <laughs> All right. You got one out here about someone on Tumblr? What are you doing? Yeah, man. We got a Tumblr. Hey, Brett. Mm-hmm. Want us to be on Tumblr? I don't know, Sean. Is there a reason we do that? Yeah, man. It's because we're cool. Cool. Is that what the kids are doing today? Are they tumbling? Yeah, that's what kids are doing. They're tumbling. Ask your kids about Tumblr. I know about Tumblr. That's where uh, that's where I think my all my children have fled from Facebook now that their grandparents are on it and have gone to Tumblr. I think that's where they're at. Yeah, we have two posts up there. One from like, I don't know, an episode in the past and then I think the episode 45 I posted on there. Cool. So I was trying to see like what it would look like if we posted like a YouTube video there. And then the audio link. I think you can put the audio link directly in there. I don't know. We'll see. It's so just one more, one more way to just, one more way to reach people. Just one more way to reach gaming and BS to find gaming and BS to tune in to gaming and yeah. BS. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good stuff. So well, that's all I had for announcements. I um between. My uh, telling everybody Shine Tar is okay. So if you're a Savage Worlds person and you love epic fantasy, you're still in good hands there. And uh, apparently we're on Tumblr now. So that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Let's check this out, man. Let's check it out. All right. Let's go into. 
Random Encounter. Random Encounter, we field voicemails, emails, comments from social media, and our website. This week uh, was rather quiet from the Random Encounter area. We didn't we didn't encounter too many random random randomness. They're too busy traveling. But, They're going to come back from their travel logs and report right. on the adventures they've had. I have a feeling it's going to be dead next week because everybody's going to be at Gen Con. Yeah, so, that's a good point. There probably will uh, not be as much activity. But hey, that's that's how it goes, and that's fine. Yeah. Quite frankly, if you could either be listening to us or at a big gaming convention gaming, I'd have to say go to the big game convention and game. I think that's pretty cool. We'll be here. I know Sean's shaking his head like, dude, don't tell him that, but game, man. Why do I? Why do I? Why do I have you as a co-host, Brett? He's not towing. Awesome. He's not towing the company line. That's <laughs> not the company line. Someone's Damn it. trying to disagree with me. Someone should have told me what the company line was. Maybe I could have got in on that. Uh, note to self: write about, write up the company line. There we go. All right. So Phil, Bur- uh, Phil, Tim, Victor, Shane, Freeman, and Joe Swick all commented on episode forty-five, which was travel. You travel and you travel some more and role playing games. Um, Phil, he, we, Phil just commented on our comments about him and his, him being a resource for index cards of all of the gaming world of Europe. He never denied the fact that he has warehouses, pallets full of them. So Uh, I still strongly suggest people contact him for, for their index cards. Phil at misdirectedmark.com. I think that works. This is email. Order, order and order often. Tim Jensen, undertake perilous journey. So, one I did not think of, which is a good point. So if you're not familiar with Dungeon World, take Perilous Journey is a move. So when you do things in Dungeon World, they're typically associated to actions with a quote-unquote move. And Undertake Perilous Journey is a move. And that and that entails like resting, um, you can level up. Uh, and a few other things that are, I think, included in Undertake Perilous Journey. It's been a while since I played Dungeon World. But it is a really good kind of rule in the game to address travel. Um, I'll have to break out my hardcover Dungeon World uh, beer coaster and crack that book open. I'm, I should. <laughs> I might bring it I might bring it to game that, that I don't have anything else going on, but I may bring it just I'll – because it's easy. You just bring the the – what are they called? The uh, playbooks for each class, whatever. And you could just, okay, everybody write up something and you just, they fill in the blanks. So boom, character generation done. And then you just make up an adventure on the fly. It, it's very good for cons. So I may just bring Dungeon World in case we get a group and we're not doing anything and we want to just play some game. Yeah, just game. Victor says, I would also mention Dungeon World, which Tim already did. Uh, Rutama, Rayutama. And the One Ring also have some really cool travel mechanics. Both games are based around the traveling adventures, adventurers. The One Ring is, uh, I'm a Tolkien fan. I've got the uh, old uh, Iron Crown Enterprises Middle-Earth role-playing. And I've been looking at the One Ring for a while now, and that's one of those things I believe I'm probably going to pick up at some point. Because, again, I need a new game, right? Because if I don't have a new game every six months or something, I'll go crazy, apparently. Um, but I'm thinking, if, if nothing else... If I spot it at Game Hole, I'm definitely going to pick it up there. But that's cool. I did not realize that it had – I know enough about the mechanics, I think, to be kind of dangerous and very high-level theoretical concepts. But I didn't know they uh, had a decent travel mechanic. So I will look forward to reading that when I get it. 
Shane mentioned this is off off kind of the traveler thing, traveler traveling in RPGs topic, but he he said we I think we touched on something like what is the most dangerous or lethal role-playing game or one of them. And Shane mentioned next to Traveler, the easiest game to die in is Chill. Uh, its percentile ability scores will not save you from 4d10 plus damage from a gunshot or 5d10 plus for a single claw attack from a werewolf. They get three attacks per round. It's the only game I ever played that had rated damage from forest fires, 13d10 per round. That was uh, Chill Mayfair Games, I believe, that came out around the same time Vampire the Masquerade back in the day. And there, I've never met anybody who played it intensely, but I had kind of heard things through the grapevine that was supposed to be pretty fun. There was, and a- I think the uh, the legit. Just to check back on on forty five, our road trip episode, Angela Murray had given us some feedback on a different topic. She she actually harkened back to episode forty four, which is fudging dice rolls, and she was talking about how hard it is to kill characters in a modern game versus some of the older ones. And that's where I think you and I tangentially jumped over to um, uh, Traveler as you can die during character gen. So I'm pretty sure that's where Shane's coming from here. Angela, I will affectionately refer to her as Token Gaming Girl. Angela, when you see Scott, uh, when you when you see these guys, uh, just just punch him. When you see Sean, just slap him. Yeah, not to just be get, mistaken for Scott, whoever the fuck that is. I just almost said, uh, Jesus, almost said man, what the hell? Did, you need more coffee. I do. I do need more coffee. <laughs> I've, got, I've got I've got Google Plus open on the side. I'm like, I gotta close that down. I got people commenting and stuff, so I'm reading and talking at the same time. I gotta. Stop I, I say that affection. I say that affectionately because there isn't a lot of women and in gate and role playing games and. I don't. So there's a few that have hosts or co-hosts or whatever. But uh, I appreciate the fact that she writes into us. She partakes in our discussion, and so I don't. Hey, if there are other women out there, great. Let us know. Wait, hey, actually, if you're uh, a female gamer, geek, whatever, and you're listening to the show, just say, hey, I listen. That's it. So we know because uh, sometimes you guys get drowned out, and we don't want to. We don't want that to happen. We want you to be represented. And as far as I'm concerned, if Angela does that, great, cool. No, uh, fair but, enough. But going back to chill, if uh, if you are interested, uh, a little plug for the Dead Game Society guys did episode twelve, chill with Stephen D. Sullivan. So he he he. Okay. I think I think he was one of the creators of Chill. Could be. Yeah. I think uh, in episode 11, I think they talk about chill, and then they do an interview with Steven in episode 12. So check it out. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes, uh, and hopefully I won't forget about it. But, yeah, I'm going on to chill um, with, excuse me, Shane's comment. All right, thanks for uh, doing that, uh, everybody, writing in. Appreciate it. If you have... If you want to write in and comment on and this episode, it's going to be episode uh, or gaming and BS forward slash zero forty six. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Google Plus, uh, as well as our website. And if you want, hey, if you got an idea for a show topic, let us know. We'd love to cover it for you. Um, but let's go into our sponsor, shall we? Uh, there, Brett. Let's do it. Great out it is. Michael Aldhauser, a friend of the show and sponsor, is the gamer behind the awesome dice bags available at grayedout.etsy.com. Yeah, I've got four of these awesome bags. These are stand-up bags, dual drawstring, tough as nails. He can do custom work. He's got a ton of things in his shop. 
custom colors, you name it, he can pull it off for you. Be sure to mention Gaming NBS for a 10% discount when you place your order. At the website, out. that's G-R-E-Y-E-D-O-U-T dot Etsy dot com. All right, let's get into the topic of discussion. There it is. So, Brett, you want to let everybody know what we're talking about in this week's episode? Yeah, I wanted to talk about women in gaming. No, I'm kidding. It's <laughs> <laughs> totally changed it on Sean's. Holy oh, shit. No, I missed Did something. Did all that work? Um, no, I wanted to talk about money, obviously. Um, <laughs> not only, it kind of is a segue from my travel component, but I was thinking about the the different things I had going on for my game I just ran yesterday or last evening, talked with the guys and in my Avalon world, I use a silver standard as opposed to gold. Silver is the more common coin. That's what everybody trades in. And we were talking last time I was up there with Zave and some of the guys like, you know, hey, remember back when we had to collect as much treasure as you could because one gold equaled one XP and ha ha ha, wasn't that goofy that we did that and different ways that people deal with cash and how sometimes, you know, it's it's annoying. Sometimes you want to hand wave money, uh, especially when you get to modern games. You know, Call of Cthulhu has their kind of a resources styling, right, where you don't really have necessarily keep track of how many dollars you have. Sometimes just a die roll to see if you can make your um, – God, no, I can't remember the damn uh, skill. Basically a skill check to see if you've got cash credit rating, you know, just to see if you've got the money on hand to do the thing you need to do. So – Money is one of those little things that, you know, when especially if you're a murder hobo, you're going out there to get fucking money. You want to get cash. And so you can buy cooler stuff. And I was kind of, I'm, how do I say this? I'm trying to figure out if there is, what's the sweet spot right now for me as a game master and as a player um, when it comes to cash. When I'm running a game for my kids or for the high school groups that I've run for, money's a big deal to them. How many gold pieces? How many silver pieces? How many copper? Oh, we got platinum. Oh, this is great. Um, when I run it for the for older, more experienced people, like, okay, money, money, blah, 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 blah. Where's the magic? Where's the stuff? Where's the cool piece of gear? Where's the clue? Where's the thing? Um, money and that sort of resources, resourcing seems to be kind of an afterthought. So, Sean, when does – let me think about this. So, in your games, how prevalent is cash? Is that something that's a big driving force behind adventures to you you set them up saying hey you guys are down you're lucky you're dead broke and here's the one last job to get you out of poverty or i mean what do you what do you think of one about the cash in your game in your games do you even think about it does just one of those things that you just do um in my upcoming campaign that i am shit canning and relaunching i it will be it'll be something that i need to consider now that we're talking about it but i didn't Actually, until you came up with this topic, Brett. Otherwise, I would I would just go. Okay, so it's not any secret. I'm a pre-published kind of guy, just for time's sake. So a lot of the adventures that I do have the money in the adventures. So if you're doing something, hey, okay, everybody, you got fifty gold, hundred gold. Here's the thing, though. I think that um, 
and we may be all over on this topic because there's a few things that I didn't note in our outline that I may like bring up, like as a matter, you know, here we go. Hey, we're here to BS brother. Lay it on me. So like economics, there is no, there is not an accurate economic system in a lot of role-playing games. D and D is atrocious, right? There, how do you, how do you determine a commerce system? Now, one, it's way too complex. I think in my opinion to do something like that. And, and not a lot of fun. And there's only so many people that go into economics as a major and really, really stick with it. I mean, there's only so many people that understand the global economy. There's only, it's not, there's not that fun. Right. And when you, so when you start getting into what are things worth and you, I don't know if they scale really well or if they've ever really scaled. And I think we just hand wave it and be done with it, which is fine. But, uh, so that's that. Right. And then I also want to touch on your point. You say silver is your currency of choice in your campaign, correct? Yes, in my Avalon campaign. I wanted a uh, lower, basically, I wanted to make gold worth something, to make gold important. Um, So gold gold is a part of the currency system. What is a part of it, but silver is the standard. People are paid in silver. This costs silver. Now, I don't change the cost of the sword. In the player's handbook, if it costs 15 gold, it still costs 15 gold. You just don't make gold all the time. Not everybody can afford that. It takes the things and uh, makes them a little harder to get, a little more expensive. And my goal was kind of a noir, gritty setting where you had to to fight for stuff. You didn't have tons of cash. And the people who did have – who had gold – um, and lots of or the nobility, they were very affluent and they could just kind of, you know, throw cash away as it were and have fancy things. And you would, as a player character, lust after that stuff because you could not get it. You could go out, kill some bandits. You could be in the city of Avalon, roll, roll some thieves, do something, save somebody and you get 50 silver pieces as a reward. That's a shitload of coins, right? But it's just silver. It's not like you've got a big pile of gold and wow, 50 gold coins. Well, I can go buy this. I can go buy that or, or whatever. You're like, okay, well I'm closer to buying this property. I'm closer to being able to pay my dues to the, uh, to the thieves guild that I belong to or to the mages guild or whatever guild that you happen to be in. Avalon's got a lot of guilds. Um, so I, I did that basically just to take it down a notch and make money, something that people cared about. So when I said you find 25 silver pieces and three gold coins, holy shit, gold, three gold, Fuck, that's worth – that's like 100 silver a piece, man, because I you know, jacked up the the, the uh, exchange rates and so forth. So, wow, that's a lot. And then, okay, where are we going to spend that? We're a bunch of punks down on the dock where how the hell are we going to spend a gold coin? No one can break a gold coin. No one's got that kind of change. So you take it to the money lender, you got to deal with that, blah, blah, blah. So it's not a bit of economics, if you will, but it became a topic and something that people had to to deal with. I don't do it. Uh, I didn't mean it to be like the the uh, the core theme in the story per se, but it's an undercurrent that happens. Is that when you get something that's really big, like Sean, you and I are walking on the street and we find a duffel bag full of hundred dollar bills. That's a lot different than finding, you know, um, a duffel bag full of rolls of quarters. You know, there's it's just, it's just different. It's easier to deal with, harder to deal with, whatever the case is. So. Why gold? Why not gold? Why gold? What do you mean? So I, I have a problem with gold. It's supposed to be rare, right? Is, is it rare? I don't know. I mean, in the world, 
when you're talking fantasy, is gold rare? But even if it's rare, shit, so is probably half the other freaking minerals that are out there. Yeah. The other the other thing that I did was that coins aren't necessarily super heavy. You don't have the whole um, what is it, the old school the, like ten coins to a pound in AD and D right? Encumbrance, big, man. Yeah, yeah. Pull up the encumbrance rules. These big ass weighty coins. But excuse me, one of the things that I, your why gold question it reminds me of the um, people have done the math. If you've seen the uh, the movie, the yeah, the Hobbit movie, right? And they show smog sitting there and all of this dwarven gold. It's like big enough to bury a huge ancient red dragon. It's tons and tons, literally tons upon tons upon tons of gold, um, gems and jewels and th- this vast amount. And what happens when that's loosed, again, to, from an economy perspective, even if you don't understand global economics, what the hell happens when everyone's scraping for a living down in Dale in Lake Town and can barely get along anywhere, and all of a sudden, boom, the doors are open up, and everybody's got tons and tons of money. Is the, Are we in a position where it's just like printing cash all along? You need a wheelbarrow to go buy a loaf of bread. I don't know. So from my perspective, then, the reason I went with – I haven't thought about the gold versus silver. Why? I just took it down to silver because then gold became something of real value to the players, Oftentimes, when I would play a D&D type game, ah, it's silver, I don't care. I don't care about copper. I don't really hardly care about Electrum if you're using Electrum. I just want gold because gold is what everything – the player's handbook says gold pieces, gold pieces, gold pieces, gold pieces. And platinum is the you know five, you know five gold to a plat type of thing. So people would ignore the silver. Now, in my Avalon world, silver is important because that's what most people carry. And if you find gold, cling, you know, ka-ching, the eyes go up and you're like, wow, okay, this is, actually, this is big money now. It's kind of like the first time a little kid gets a $100 bill. This is no longer fives, tens, and twenties. It's a $100 bill. It's a big damn deal. So holy, that's why I did it. Holy shit, man. No more coffee. What? No more coffee for you. <laughs> did, I, did I go a little crazy there? <laughs> well, Crazier. No, the reason I ask about gold, uh, because uh, just for curiosity, I don't know if there's any thought that goes behind it. Otherwise, we just assume, assume gold is the currency of murder hobos. Uh, Dragonlance used steel. That's true. They had steel, steel pieces. Yeah, and they used steel because it would make weapons. Which is kind of weird. Then, so you'd take all of the valuable steel that you'd make weapons out of and turn it into coins that you'd trade around, so you couldn't make weapons out of it. So, it, I mean, again, the, the economic mm. component of it, I don't necessarily worry about too much. It's like diamonds, except when it get except when it gets huge. When you're like, okay, we just went and plundered this dragon's horde, and now I have tens of thousands of silver pieces. I have 30,000 gold. I have 20,000 copper or whatever the hell you'd find. And then, you know, by hook or by crook, the party finds some way, either flat ignoring of encumbrance or multiple trips to the dragon's lair, portable holes or whatever. And they lug all of this shit back, and then over the next month in game time, they're buying property left and right, and they're building this, building that, doing all this really cool shit. Um, So my perspective was to take money and make it valuable again because, generally speaking, I saw money in my games as becoming worthless. People were looking, they wade through the gold and the platinum or the mithril pieces or whatever and look for the magic item. You know, that that's what they were going for. They didn't give a fuck about the cash anymore. And if I took my world 
which I did, and made it a low magic world where plus one swords aren't that common, plus two swords are incredibly rare. You don't have a lot of magic weapons and so forth. Money matters. And to make money matter, I decided to take it from gold and knock it down to silver as my standard. Okay, man, that's cool. Hey, that's cool, man. I, uh, so, yeah, go ahead. Do you like, now, so, apart from that, that piece of it, do you like having your characters track, or you as a player even, track the sheer volume of coins that you're carrying with you, or you've got them stashed and so forth? Or, and I don't know if you, I know you haven't played Call of Cthulhu, but there are other mechanics around there where you could do like a credit rating roll, as I say. Like, look, I'm going to pull out some cash and bribe this guard. Make a credit rating roll, and if you do that, you've got enough. Or some other skill checky type of way to be wealthy, as opposed to marking off, you know, like an accountant on your character sheet. Yeah, so Dungeon World does something like that, where it's kind of like you have, I don't remember, I think it's like four gold. So everything costs one gold, two gold, right? So there's no, there's no long list of inventory items. So they kind of do like more. Uh, they 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 bring down the scale significantly, so that and and there's more macro instead of micro, right? And there's spots, right? So if you're gonna carry gear, you have maybe two slots. You can carry something that takes up two slots. You can carry two things. That take up one slot. So it's really easy to manage that way. Excuse me. But also, uh, so to answer your question, because I haven't answered your question, I I leave it up to the characters to kind of keep track of their gold. And I think that in the new campaign that I'm going to run, that you you keep track of it. So I think in one game that I play in, we, we murder hobos. Um, get our stuff, we get our treasure, somebody's always jotting it down. And then at the end, they say, okay, everybody gets this amount, everybody gets that amount. Um, If there's a magic item, which I know isn't really money, but if it's another valuable item, maybe there's something that is negotiated between players. So So everybody keeps track of their gold, and when it comes time to do something, there's a cost to it, whether it's by the player's handbook, and I specifically deal with D&D. So if it's a player's handbook and the GM or DM says, you know, I say, I want to buy something. They say, great. Uh, they, I will, they will either play it out or they'll just say it costs this. And the cost could be what it is in the player's handbook. It could be minus that in percentage, percentage. yeah, or above that. Um, so when I run, I think what I will be doing going forward is what I, I'd like to do is I think there is, I want to, this is a whole nother topic, but I want to take the game to, a, to for me, in a, in another, I don't want to say another level, but. What different direction, theme, theme, whatever. Well, it's very easy to just get into that mode where you're kind of like, yeah, that's fine. Or, yeah, that's cool. Uh, just write it down. Or, yeah, this is the cost or whatever. I want to be able to get into it where it's kind of like if somebody goes to buy something and they have money and they want to haggle, then there's something involved in that. Like whether there's a skill check and an actual role-playing opportunity there, great. Rather than just, oh, I want to buy a keep. Okay, great. Uh, Well, you know, and some of that's kind of like, well, that's what I'm doing. So 
How do you kind of facilitate oh, I get it. that? I mean, how, how do you how do you want to go? It's the Ken and Robin have talked about this. Sometimes, if you get a game session, it comes down to a big shopping spree. It's really yeah. fucking boring. You get yeah. the feeling like you're hanging out with your teenage kids. I know you don't have kids, but if you've got teenage daughters, you ever had to take them shopping? You you know the pain I'm talking about, folks. Um, you get the feeling like they're just going through, going through, going through. Where sometimes, though, what your, your your point is that sometimes it's nice to have an opportunity to haggle, do a little skill check, maybe a little back and forth role playing, something where you could make that event more entertaining. Well, and that, I get that's yeah. that's a lot more fun. That may be true, and at the same time, you know, maybe I'm I'm playing with folks that don't want to do that. Maybe they just like, dude, I'd rather just kind of stipulate what I'm trying to do, what I want to buy. You tell me how much it costs and I'll subtract it and we'll call it a day. So some of that's kind of cool too because I think really at the gist of the game, the party wants to do cool stuff. And that stuff isn't always very cool unless you tie it into the story. Yes, yes. um, When we talked about travel in our last episode, there's a tolerance level for the amount of dramatic or thematic action stuff that can happen during your travel. Similar thing here. If every time I went out like, look, I need to go buy – uh, 50 feet of rope, a grappling hook, and 10 torches and two, uh, you know, two oil skins. Great. Two you know, flasks of oil, excuse me. Great. What's that going to cost me? The way I've asked it, the action going on right now, you as a game master should know, hey, um, they're just trying to knock this out. It's going to cost you 15 gold. Great. Good. I've spent my 15 gold. I don't even want to haggle. I'll pay this price. we got to get this and got to go. There's no point to drag that into a discussion. So I think there's a tolerance level. And this is where the uh, game master and player skill is reading the room. As a player, if you love to do the haggling role-playing thing, but you see the game master, the way the story's working, the way the other players are looking at you like, dude, please don't do the haggling thing every time. We just want to get past this session and get onto the cool bit because the cool bit's right in front of us. I get that. So I think you need to read the room and determine if, if detailed shopping is in the cards for that for that particular moment. Yeah, and I, I think that's kind of going into it. how do you want to run your game and yada, yada, yada. As far as money, 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 money. This is the danger of this topic right there. Money. That was it. <laughs> that was the that was the danger I, I knew I was running into. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, now, one of the things I want to ask you, though, comparative fantasy, what we just talked about versus ooh. like a Knight's Black Agents or a sci-fi, that, that's where, or even a modern or quasi-modern, that's where I like the basic role-playing, the Call of Cthulhu style of the... Um, the credit rating check or you spend a point or you make something like that instead of tracking how many individual dollars and quarters and nickels and pennies or drachma or credits or whatever you happen to have, I think it becomes – there's a genre change and it comes down to – to me, it's from the old school murder hobo dungeon crawling where it treasure, 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 treasure and <clears> – excuse <throat> me, again, as I said, to make treasure in my – current world more interesting i change it to a silver standard enough about that but going into a call of cthulhu type of game if i said there's a bunch of cash laying on the floor great i pocket that how much is it it's a couple hundred dollars great i have that in my pocket someone make a note like you know took some money but nobody keeps track of the five quarters they found the the six pound notes if they're in england or the the lira or what that doesn't that doesn't matter to the spirit of that game. That game's about investigating occult and horror, and horror, and doesn't have to do with the collecting of treasure. And so, I think that in your D and D type games, your your fantasy games, people lean towards at least the the people I have seen. They lean towards wanting to know how many gold pieces do I find. 
<clears throat> so I, again, I haven't played Dungeon World, but I'm curious as to how that game, I can't find a better phrase right now, but fixes or deals with that kind of visceral need of combing through the dead goblins to see what kind of loot you get off of them. You know? Yeah, you get, I think, I can't remember for the life of me, but I know that you get, um, there, oh, there might even be a move like get treasure. I don't remember. I don't honestly remember. But having said that, Spycraft, um, Spycraft, and the Gumshoe system. So Gumshoe has the resource thingy. Yes. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, and and I think Spycraft has Scrapola. Like it has a feat or a social status, like. Because Spycraft is D twenty, right? It is D twenty based, yeah. But it has it has a mechanic that is, um, what is it called? It's not economics. It's um, shit balls, and it's like probably five feet from me. But it has to do with what you're saying. So if you're from high class, then you have more resources. Shadowrun has that too. Yep. Yep. Shadowrun. Yeah. The world at World of Darkness, you have resources and you have X number of dots in them. So sometimes I would use. In that game, how many dots do you have in resources? I have four. I have four points in resources. You can easily afford this. I only have three. You can't afford it. It's out of your price range. Really? Yeah, you don't have that much cash on you. If I recall that system correctly, if you'd read through like the description, it'd be like, hey, you have this much liquid cash available to you at any given point. Um, But generally speaking, in those games, at least to me, the collection of liquid cash isn't the goal or isn't one of the drivers. So I don't think it's necessarily as important. What I've done more and more is that even with using my silver standard concept in fantasy, what I started doing even before I I have done that is I tell the characters, you go through, my sons will be playing. And they'll say, hey, I went through and collected uh, all the loot off the dead orcs. What's in there? I say, you find about 50 gold pieces worth of uh, uh, sorted coins. So they'll write down 50 gold. And I remember Connor and other people I've played with over the years. So, so is it X number of silver or is there a platinum in there? I said, it really doesn't matter. It's 50 gold pieces worth of coins. That was because in that or 50 silver pieces worth of coins. So basically what I do is I default to that, the world I've built, whatever that the standard coinage is there. Um, if it's my one world of Isram, I'll use gold because that's a gold standard. If it's uh, Avalon, it's the silver standard. You find X number of silver or X number of gold worth of coins. So it it's not necessarily the same thing because people are still keeping track of the individual coins to a point. But instead of trying to say you find five copper, six silver, two electrum, and three platinum. So it goes, fuck, how many platinum do a gold again? I think it's two. I think, is it two? Look that up. Is it five? Shit. I don't want to do the math. So I kind of quickly do the math for them. I round it to one one direction or another. I got that from running Vampire and other modern games with more of a resource pool instead of saying you find five $1 bills, six 20s, and a stack of hundreds. <clears throat> Nobody wants to do that in that game that I've ever encountered. They just grab the cash. How much money is there? Oh, about $2,000. Great. About $2,000. I pocket that. Well, That's all they care about. I don't think in a modern game you're – It's this. I don't think it's the same. And I'll define – No, it's not. Yeah. And I'll define that for our listeners. Um, in, in the fantasy world, D and D Pathfinder, it's, um, you're kind of, well, even in like computer games, you're kind of like kill the dude, get their loot, buy some shit and be tougher. 
And then uh, the stuff that you get is tougher, better, bigger. I want a castle, so I need money. So you, it's kind of like this cycle, right? I go kill shit, I get loot, and I experience, and I might get magic items, and then I want to maybe buy land or something, or, or kill more shit, rinse, repeat, and then you're you become this uber uber man uber woman person character whatever that looks like so i think there's that in fantasy where you don't get that in in modern games now one thing we didn't touch on which is what i've heard in other podcasts talk about is when you as the gm award players with stuff and maybe it's magic coal or it's money. The goal for the, I say goal loosely for lack of better words, is to get them to use or spend the resources or or take it away from them. Yeah, so you're not just handing over sacks and sacks of gold where that's all they have. It's similar to in, in, in back in my vampire days when someone had five dots and resources, they were a superstar, they had all this cash, all this home, it was part of my job in a game of personal horror and terror to start chipping away at their stuff, you know, blowing up houses, taking away cars, doing different things, making them use their resources, right. make them spend dots to do things to recover. And I learned that <laughs> hardcore playing a Forgotten Realms game many years back in high school where my friends and I at one point, we sat down and we bought a keep, we bought this, and we had hundreds of thousands of coins that we collected. And we're like, why? Really? What? Yeah. you. It's, yeah. Just, it's just so much. And we're like, what the fuck? So I started taking it to the, in my Avalon world, if you're a thief, you're, normal, you're either part of a thieves guild or they or they are going to hunt you down. They're going to pressure you, try to get you to join. It's X number of silver a month or a year or whatever it is. And I play that in the world. I make it a thing you have to have. And again, by having, for me, having a silver standard, I keep going back to this, but having a silver standard made gold valuable. So when they wanted to get something like better armor, armor is fucking expensive. It still cost, you know, 125 gold, let's say, for a decent suit of chainmail armor. And all they're making is, you know, 20 silver here, 50 silver there, 100 silver there. It takes a long time to work up to that. So they hide that, save it, only spend what they have to to eat and live. And then, boom, chink, you know, big bag of silver goes down. They scoop up that armor that they've wanted for all this time, and all the money's gone. They spent it, you know. Or that's one of the reasons why they're more in tune with looking for mundane things because the magic isn't as popular either. So if they murder hobo somebody and the guy's got plate mail on, they want to take the plate mail. Now, then again, because I'm an ass, but as a game master, I'm like, well, it won't fit you. Right. Really? It's plate mail. It, it's medium size. Yeah, it says medium size. I get it. But you're going to have to spend about 15 to 20 silver to have a blacksmith that's just kind of pounded into shape for you. Okay, good point. And then that thing that they purchased becomes more personal and a thing that they own and that they care about. You know, they don't right. just spend their money frivolously. Like, oh, well, it's gone. I'll rest monster fuck. I'll just go buy some more full plate or field plate or whatever plate. Nope. It's It means something to them when they when they don't have it. Well, that's the problem with money. It's not with by not using it as an in economics. So what I run into with a lot of role-playing games that I've played in different groups is you end up getting a lot of money, and then whenever you have to do something, it's always very, very easy. 
And I, I say that in the, well, I have to pay for a meal at the end. I have to pay for a room at the end. I have to bribe this guy or that. How much that does it cost? Guy. Sean, it's your turn to pay. Fuck. All right. Yep. Here's a hundred gold to get the best in, get baths and food right. for everybody for a week. Because everybody walking around is loaded. And I say loaded where it's kind of like, if we put it in a perception or perspective, it's really kind of like, you know, I've got a what? Who the hell's carrying around a thousand freaking gold gold pieces? That's a lot of freaking weight. If they weigh, especially OSR coins, man. Yeah. OSR coins that, that a thousand gold would be like hundreds of pounds. I mean, physically, you couldn't carry it all. But we don't get into that shit. And if no, because encumbrance is silly. Yeah, encumbrance. <laughs> so it's kind of this wacky, weird system where we're kind of like. So then it crosses into well, how how much do you want your stuff to be realistic? And how much is it where, well, dude, you're playing D&D and you got wizards and orcs and goblins running around and elves. I mean, come on, let's be real. Yep. So I'm kind of like, and kind of torn because uh, it can come into play and it could be interesting. But do you want to get into those nuances? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, there's a there's a depth level that you either – it's kind of that communication thing we've talked about before. Um, not necessarily social contract, but hey, look – when you play a Mavlon world, and you say, what's Avalon like? I say, well, I use a silver standard. Money's this. It's a noir, nihilistic type of environment where it works like this, works like that. Oh, okay, cool. You, you get where money's going to play because I describe it to you. If you're saying, well, I'm playing the Forgotten Realms. Buy the book? Yeah, buy the book. Okay, I'm going to have money up to my ears. Oh, you're playing OSR, AD&D, Greyhawk? Great. I'm going to collect all the fucking coin hey. I can because one gold equals one experience point, and I need that shit. I'm going to – I'm gonna. I know there's a listener right now going, uh, dude, what? I played Forgotten Realms for like 30 years, man. I didn't get any gold. So let's hold on a second just because you open the book and it's like – it's not like printing money for your character. True. I mean it depends on what the GM's yep. running, right? DM, Absolutely. Whatever. Okay. I think some of the – because the game is around killing things and taking their stuff. Right. I mean, murder, at the heart of murder, hobo, hobo, murder, hoboing. When you have some of the roots of that are X amount of coins equals X amount of experience points. It becomes very valuable to split it up saying, look, you can have this magic sword, which is worth so much gold, which is worth so many experience points. I'll take the actual physical coin because that's worth the same amount of experience points. Yeah, it gets kind of uh, really um, accountant crunchy. You get a financial advisor to come in and help the party. Uh, properly, you know, allocate and invest all their funding. So I, to me, what I, I've done is I've stopped having massive hordes, right? So if you find, you fight a carrion crawler, I don't use the random chart. Or if I do, I have the coinage or something along those lines. I've started to limit the amount of money that anyone can find in any given location in a fantasy setting. Just again, talking fantasy here for right now. I don't have... You know, every dragon horde is not hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of various different coins. You don't have 50,000 of this, 100,000 copper. You don't have that. So when you kill a carrion crawler, you find 15 gold pieces worth of assorted coins. So that, that invokes or hopefully evokes in the player's mind, hey, there's probably copper, silver, a couple gold coins. We scoop it all up. Great. I got 15 gold pieces worth of assorted coins. Damn thing almost killed, you know. Almost killed Phil and, and Chris and Sean almost died, but hey, at least we got through the oh, got through the adventure. Great. Um, so I think one way to make money worth more is to just limit the volume that you hand out. And oh, yeah. As a game master, you can totally control that. Totally agree. And then, 
And that's a way to – you don't even have to fuck around with encumbrance and say, well, you can't possibly carry all that because that gets, again, to your point, it can get kind of wonky. But just don't hand out hundreds of thousands of coins in every dungeon. You know, I think that I will – that's what I'm going to do right away in the new the new uh, saga, the new everyone campaign. Gets everyone gets 100,000 copper. I'm going to give you guys a, a shit ton of money. Uh, well, no, actually, no, I won't give you a shit ton of money, but as you get money – I will ask you, um, how are you carrying it? And yes, then, that, then, a simple question. This yeah. is the I so, love those questions. Those how, are so much more. Fun. How do you carry it? Well, I got it in a chest. Great. So where is the chest? It's in the wagon. It's in the okay. Oh, you have a wagon. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. So when the wagon gets stolen. Yeah, so when the giant comes up and smash, smash, smashes the wagon and coins are scattered everywhere, <laughs> That's right. you know How, what happened. Yeah, and do you recover all of the damn coins that are scattered all over the goddamn ground? Yeah, uh, well, there's 20 hill giants roaring out of the, yeah, no, 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 I don't. So I say that kind of in jest, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, it could lead to, even if you said, hey, um, Okay, so I've got a lot of money. What do a lot of people do with a lot of money in this world? And I would say, well, they bank. Maybe there's a banking system. Okay, great. I, I did that in my Avalon world. The Church of Hermes uh, acts as the uh, basically the banking system for the entire city and the the uh, country surrounding it. Well, Eberron. So they'll. Yeah, Eberron has a bank too. Well, okay, I, don't, Eb- I don't know enough about it. Eberron's a pretty cool world. I, yeah, I played in Eberron for quite some time. If you're not familiar with Eberron, it's a D and D campaign setting. Um, written or submitted by Keith Baker in one of their competition, the only competition as far as I know that uh, Watsi has ever done to submit a campaign. He won. But anyways, they have houses. So they're kind of like guilds. So there's a bank, you know, house that deals with finance. Right. So they deal with currency and exchange and all that stuff. But what I'm saying is maybe you, you keep your stuff entrusted to somebody. So what happens if that trust is gone, broken? Somebody spends all your shit. Then that's the whole whole housing another, market collapses. Son of a bitch! I can't get out of this. Whole thing. another storyline. Well, I wouldn't go as far as like how it's invested or bat, you know, not invested. It may be just somebody that spent all your shit and they don't have well, your money anymore. Yeah, the bank could get broken into. Something as simple as that. Yeah, not even a well, right? Or it could be like, hey, you don't travel. Hey, you know relative person or confidant i need you to look after my stuff or my finances in my absence and then you come back and it's like dude i gotta tell you something it's all like a bad it's like a bad drug dealer friend yeah yeah i totally don't have it what (laughs) wait what 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 don't you have yeah exactly Uh, that that money yeah i kind of kind of spent it it's gone (laughs) What? what do you mean you spent it exactly it's gone now, oh, we talked a little bit about shopping and trying to make shopping interesting. I've got a little segue here I'll throw out. So my, bunny Le- my buddy Lenny in my Avalon world, I have guns, flintlocks and percussion cap style, style guns. He gets, his hand on a, he gets his hands on a pistol, really nice one. He wants to sell it. You have to be licensed within the city of Avalon to sell them. They're difficult to find. They're incredibly expensive. He's going to figure out a way to do this. So he goes to the center of the city to the one place that he knows he can sell this thing, pretty sure – Goes in and meets meets this guy who's part of the uh, arquebusiers, the uh, the guild that deals with this stuff. The guy takes it, looks at it, offers him some 
some cash in gold coins. He said, you know, like 100 gold. Now, Lenny's character had never seen that much gold before. He knows the potential value is in the hundreds, uh, like 500 possibly more of gold. So Lenny's starting big. He's starting smaller. They're kind of working, kind of working. I describe the man reaching under the desk and pulls out two bags, spills one of them on the table, gold coins, and starts stacking them neatly while he's negotiating with Lenny. So stack of 25, poker chip style, stack of 25, stack of 10. He's counting them out, and he slides 100 into a pile, scoops the others in the bag. And that and Lenny's eyes were like, God damn you, Brett, you know. Fuck! It's right there. It's like cash, uh, cash on the barrelhead type of uh, type of scenario. And right there, I was able to control the amount of coin instead of saying, "Okay, you get fifty percent of its value." I was able to give a reasonable amount of coin and play on the fact this character's never seen that much money before. And he's like, um, kind of like if you will, make a greed check almost if you want to get a skill type of thing, you, a willpower, a, a, a wisdom, something. I basically pushed all the right buttons with the coins by stacking them like poker chips in front of them, saying, "Look, here, here it is." So you he know, was. If I'm going to buy a car from you, and you say it's five hundred, you know, five thousand dollars your best offer. That come with four thousand in hundred dollar bills cash. You'd be a fool to turn it. So away. he he took it to a dealer, and that dealer was like stacking out all the money, and going, "This is all I got." Yeah. Well, the oh, the dealer said, "This is what you can have." Ah, I, I see. I will give you this. So just. Be- just was like, oh, I've never seen gold before, really, and I've never seen hundreds of it. Uh, fuck. Okay, but, yeah, I'll take it. But was it? But okay, so that leads into kind of a story where does the character actually know that he's getting more, or is he getting taken? It's kind of like he, the the he knew he knew he was he knew the gun was worth more than he was getting, but he also knew that he had limited options on how to sell it. Right. And this guy was pushing money at him saying, hey, look, I'm going to cover this. Here's the money you're going to get. It's the best you're going to get. Sure, go walk around the city with a gun, which you can't have. Good luck finding other people who are going to give you more than this. So where I'm going is it, it was a, a shopping session that made sense to the story. He found this really cool thing and wanted to get rid of it because he couldn't, didn't, didn't have the skill to use it, didn't want to use it. Gunpowder is expensive, didn't make any sense to him. So instead of just saying you get list price for it or 50%, I turned it into a thing that was kind of a <clears> – because <throat> then when he got the coin, it wasn't like, yeah, I take it back to my, to my apartment and stash it in the floorboards like I always do. <laughs> you know, He got it, and I'm like, okay, you're standing outside the uh, gunsmith shop, and you have like 150 gold pieces in a bag. What do you do? He's like, fuck, I got like an hour walk home through the streets of Avalon at night with 150 gold pieces in coins. Uh, I said, okay, I'll get back to you. Went to the rest of the team. He kind of went, oh, shit, you know, this is, it's really cool. I've got all this money, but it's kind of like, you know, gluing $100 bills to yourself and say, okay, go go walk down downtown Chicago in the middle of the night. You, I'm sure you'll be fine. You know, it, <laughs> it's just, it was kind of, it turned it into something that was interesting. So, Anyway, point, my point was just an example of how shopping can be fun. Um, I don't do that all the time, but it's one of those points where they had something that's worth a ton of money, and I just want to make it something that was a little more interesting, so that's why I did that. So the other thing that that leads me to is – so I told you that story to tell you this one. When you have a fantasy world, there's a certain point when people want to buy 
magic items. They just want to take this volume of coins they have, especially I'm, I'm using OSR style gaming, you know, old school uh, AD&D where you had tons and tons of gold conceivably. And people are like, look, I just, it says in the Dungeon Master's Guide that this wand is worth 10,000 gold. I have 30,000 gold. I'm going to find someone to buy it from. Sean, did you ever have a magic store in your games or a shop or anybody's games where you could go in and say, all right, show me the best wands you have. Wow, lay out the plus one swords. Did you ever have that? Uh, we, we, I, I have maybe back in the day when I was quite young, um, those would exist. I have. That was last week. Well, dude. even last oh, mine of, <laughs> yeah, the lost mine of Fandelver has, I mean, a place you can go and buy things, but I would keep a rare. It depends on the campaign you're running. You know, if you're going to run it. Absolutely. I'm just curious if you did it because that could be a way to relieve players of their cash. Right. So I I would not, but I would probably, um, I would keep the extra expensive things or the unique things, special order. Um, you could get it from the big city and, and order it. I can go and get it. Um, charge a buttload of money above cost. And I think one thing that players don't do is if you're going to up it, is it upped because of the supply of that item, the rarity, or is it, okay, hey, uh, Brett, your guy wants a sword. Um, even if it's like master work, whatever, the the keeper could say, well, I don't have any and I can get some, but that's a special shipment. I actually have to have guards, you know, blah, blah, blah. So there's like an additional cost of getting it where I think we just kind of go, oh. Shipping and handling. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're going to go down the road and you're, you know, trucking along and you're kind of the commerce trading person, you maybe have a big bullseye on your caravan or whatever it is. Oh, quite possible, yeah. So that's something to consider. Um, so I don't have like the, I know back in the days when I was a teenager, it'd be like the magic store. Oh, but, yeah. But we'd maybe even hand wave it and just say, well, you can, if you've got, you know. Five, Go to the Mages Guild. You can buy all the potions you want. Exactly. Or if you've got 5,000 gold and you need a ring and you, you, we used to shop just like go through the player's handbook, go through the list. Oh, I got like 75,000 gold. Let's see. I'm going to buy plus three sword, um, three <laughs> potions of this, you know, and some of that's kind of cool. It's Monty Hall, but it's kind of cool because then you would be like, I you, got all this cool shit, man. Yeah. It's, I got and, all it's consu- and it's consumable when you buy potions and, and yeah. wands and rods. I mean, they get used up. So that happens. Well, and the thing is, is that you would need it in first edition AD&D. You wanted as much crazy shit that you could get your hands on. Yeah, because you was could the be only a second level live. mage with like three hit points. Right. <laughs> you know, if you didn't have the protection, you could be dead. Because it's the only way you could survive. Um. So I think that that is a component. I haven't really... It's been really toned down through the years. It I think now Monty, it feels Monty Hall like little kid stuff, right? It doesn't feel like something that we, you know, adult seasoned gamers, you know, alpha gamers, should have magic shops in our worlds anymore. It feels like you shouldn't have that. However, as soon as the characters are the shit's kicked out of them, the clerics are both clerics in the party are near dead. First thing they do is run to the church and gate and say, "Okay, um." I'll convert and, th- and donate a thousand gold pieces. Can I buy some potions? <laughs> you know, the first thing they do is they look at the churches as a place to throw cash in order to buy healing. Yeah, I think that uh, I would want to. 
where was I going with this? Now what they have is if you want to do something, it's going to cost you so much time and so much gold, which I think is good. Because then I think that's more of the meta part. So in order to learn a new spell, it's going to cost you or a scroll or a potion, it's going to cost you gold. And I think without reading into it, I'm sure it has to do with um, that's how much money it costs for you to live during the time that you're making this thing or resources. Like you have to hire people to do X or Y, whatever, however you kind of frame it, but we don't frame it. We just go, Oh, it's going to cost 3000 gold to do this. And it's going to take me 30 days. So it's similar to the, similar to the travel component insofar as instead of, you know, lather, rinse, repeat, Three wandering monster checks, rest, two for the night, up in the morning, da, 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 da. Oh, roll, click, it rained today, snowy, whatever. If you add some of the color to it, again, you don't have to do it every time. When you're doing this type of purchase, you can, or when the, the players are in crisis mode, you know, half the party's dead and needs to be resurrected or somebody's diseased and five of them have got lycanthropy and they got to fix it. That's an opportunity to turn shopping for healing or shopping for resurrection into an event. Right. That's that that's a that's event worthy. That's where you should be, you know, having the NPCs with the funny accents and the various other things looking at you saying, Well, you know, son, if you if only you believe in Odin, I would totally help you, but you don't. You're a Loki follower and I just uh sorry, no you know, door shut or whatever you know, you you can turn that into something. I did uh, even with um modern games, I've done it I did this a couple times in Vampire where the guys were we played uh the biggest storyline we ever had took place in Chicago. And this was back in the uh, in the nineties when we were playing, and the one guy had all this cash, and he's like, "I really want a Lamborghini. I'm going to buy a Lamborghini." Like, there's no Lamborghini dealers in Chicago that I know of. You know, we try to look it up, can't find anything. So he said, "Okay, I'm going to get one shipped in." Well, <laughs> it became like this car became this beautiful little plot point for me because first off, bringing in a hundred plus thousand dollar vehicle into town, everyone who's a car guy who knew the different shipping people and everything. People knew word got out. And then from that, who bought it, how they afford it, where do they work, all this stuff. These stories get out. And I was able to use that as basically whenever he drove it, then he would get shot. (laughs) People would try to steal it. It became this thing where he spent his, you know, points to get it because he thought it'd be really cool to have this sexy, fast, super go fast Italian car. And then I turned it into a thing because it didn't fit really well. You know, it's like walking around any fantasy city with a with full field plate on, with the visor down, your long sword or your two-hand sword strapped to your back. Drawing attention for the fancy shit that you have can be another way to take all that money that you have and turn it into putting a bullseye on you, right? So if you're walking around town and every time you want to buy something, you reach in your pouch and throw another 10 gold. Reach in here and I break five platinum. I reach in here, I pull out the five gems I have. Just take that and keep the change, good innkeeper. Well, <laughs> the thieves are coming for you. The other, there's many ways to relieve people of their money well, to, there, make, to make having tons of cash interesting. Well, and there's one thing that we didn't mention, which is um, something you could tie money into, which is like standing and influence. So say, for example, you contribute money to a cause you you know clerics used to have to in ad and d give what 10 percent of their money away well paladins definitely did 
I don't know if clerics. I think well, clerics might have too. Yeah. But anyway, there it was in there. Yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah. So part of being the class is, oh, okay, you get a thousand gold, and oh, by the way, like a hundred of that has to go to the church. So it was that was just the way it was. So I say that because um, now you could do that where it's like um, you, you you can buy influence. So say you want to be good with this group or the king or whatever you make donations or you pay taxes and then you are by doing that consistently maybe that's good okay just good but if you want to be in you know high regard then you have to pay more money but that gives you some other things maybe that gives you more contacts um so in game mechanics or as you're gming or dming you could um Say okay, you you can donate so much money, and that will help your not streetwise, but maybe your gather information or your contacts and what you're able to do in the game to acquire information, resources, whatever that is. Which I don't think a lot of people really do too much, except for the games that incorporate that mechanic like Shadowrun or something along those lines. But I thought... Yeah, because even in a and d game, you can have it, you know, in the fantasy game. Like, um, I've seen this done before where people are like, look, I want to, I go out and I kind of refresh, I mean, this is these are this is my language here, but I kind of refresh my bribe circle, if you right, will, right? right? I have X number of resources that I normally work with. Uh, one of my buddies, Chris, back in the Vampire Days, did this. He... Did something within the game. His resource stats got bumped up. He earned another point in resources. So what he did was he turned that around and bought stuff for a ton of NPCs that he was connected to. Basically bought favors. Or hirelings, and, right? Yeah, hirelings. So he basically, yeah, yeah he, he came in the cash and flooded it back out because he knew it won't be long. And Brett's going to do something to me and I'm going to need to have these dudes behind me. And if I don't have the chief of police, if she's not backing me, no, no, no. I'm supporting her campaign. I, I have had other people. Who's running for office right now? Good. I give them money and make, and make sure they know where it came from. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. in that case, that's a social game where you're, you're working that angle. And you're living in a city. And it really, it really freaking matters at that point. Yeah, I don't think it – I think it can be a driving force. And I don't know if we – so I think when we play role-playing games and fantasy specifically, and maybe it's D&D or Pathfinder – you the adventure is the component and you go on an adventure and you gain money and then with that money you buy stuff where i think you could twist that a little bit and say you you as a gm economically measure that in some capacity the the worth and build it into more story driven stuff so for example if you're a group and you have money and you're getting money great but wherever you have to stay is much more, it costs more and then you spend more. And then if you want to, uh, find things to do or bribe people, it costs more. So it becomes this like, whenever I like it when it's kind of the shortage piece, because then you're driven to like, dudes, we don't, ha do you have any money? No. Do you have any money? Great. We got to go get some money. How do we get some money? Well, I don't know. And then that kind of projects people, the characters into doing something purely for the sake of getting the money and not well, just because they want to buy awesome, great sword. Yeah. If you're a mercenary adventurer type, right? Not, not even a raw murder hobo, but if you look at, well, 
uh, Glenn Cook's The Black Company novels are basically a ton of murder hobos. But, they, I mean, there's the whole point of being a mercenary company is you, you go do your fighting and killing for money. And they need that to keep people in armor and fed and do this and do that. Um, if your adventuring group doesn't have a quest, a great moral thing to do, one way to be, keep them together is that, look, you're all fucking broke or you're really close to being fucking broke. You need to do this thing. You need to find some way to make cash because guess what? You've got debt or you had to <clears> – <throat> excuse me. You, you can't get your armor repaired. Your your sword broke. It cost 25 gold to get another sword. You've got 50 silver. Good luck, pal. Um, there's a need and a drive to find cash. <clears throat> the other thing that that's done uh, for me is that it has – it's invoked more use of the background skills and professions, the stuff that people used to do. You know, if to take a Dungeon Crawl Classics thing, look, I used to be a farmer. Okay, um, what kind of farmer? Well, I raised cattle. Great, that means I know how to do, uh, I know how to butcher cows. So I'm going to go work with the butcher and make a couple coins. Or if you have a background in something else, <clears throat> excuse me, like a brewer or, um, or a baker or something that you have in your history, people set up shop to go try to make some money because they need to have this thing. And it doesn't, you know, that's not always the most classic, amazing adventure stuff, and you don't have to get into the super nitty-gritty of it. And again, it doesn't apply everywhere all the time, but when money becomes important in a fantasy setting, people find new and interesting ways to obtain it. I think organized play in Pathfinder specifically does do some good um, use of money and resources as much as they can. So when you get done with the adventure, you get so many gold, and then you have the option, depending on what the adventure provides, to buy what what is listed. Um, and then you have the profession skills that play a role in the game because you're always, hey, I have profession craftsman or profession woodworker. So you every game session, you roll that, and that's additional gold you would get. And you mark that on your character sheet because you're going to need it to buy. You're going to need it to buy stuff to make you better in the game. Yeah, it's like you know when you have your base of operations, you buy an alchemist kit, you buy the armor stuff, you buy equipment. So that way, the guy in your group who can, who is a leather worker by trade or knows leather armor, so that way after the uh, the harpy has ripped the shit out of the thief, you can stitch his armor back together, help him adjust and do that stuff. So. Yeah. I think, it, again, if you're getting down to when you're in a game like a basic role-playing called Cthulhu or one of the more modern ones where it's kind of a skill check or large pools and conceptual more than individual dollars and cents, I like that. I think that fits really well in a modern setting, and I'm not too, I'm not too concerned about it. I think in the um, what I would call more classic fantasy gaming, I find that if you don't if, you, if I looked at my group and like, okay, yeah, I got money, blah, blah, I got money, 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 money. And one of the things that drove me to thinking about it differently over the years was no one cared about coins anymore. No one cared about whether they had money. They only cared about how, much, how many magic items they had. Well, <clears throat> if I could turn that and make them care about the coins, that also allowed me to make the magic items um, more important. Yeah. Right? Because you, you worried about coins and so on and so forth. That was really important. Oh, shit. I also have a plus two longsword. Fucking A, this is awesome. We don't get a lot of those. I got some coins, just enough to get by. This is great. We killed the we killed the bugbears. We got the reward. We looted the bodies. They only had, you know, five hundred gold pieces in coins total. Split amongst the six of us. 
That doesn't go really far, but hey, thankfully we found some uh, magic items as well. It, everything began to have more value yeah. to the group, all the gear they found. So I'm interested to see what other folks have to say about it too. I mean, if, if there's other better ways to do it, or if you think we're totally full of shit on this, uh, let us know. I want to hear about it. Yeah, write in um, and comment <laughs> on this episode on G Plus Facebook, Twitter, or on our blog, How You Handle Money and Economics and, and all kinds of different things that we kind of touched on. Let's get into Bam. Die roll. So this is die roll where we take two to four miscellaneous points of gaming geekery, geekery and we share with you. Brett has three. I have three. I have actually, four, I have four. All right. Yep. Go ahead. So Brett. the first first one I went and I saw Ant Man. Did you? Uh, it was fun. I did. Did you see Guardians time. of the Galaxy? Uh yes, I've seen Guardians oh, of the okay. Galaxy as well. I saw Ant Man and um I liked it. It was fun. Um, there is the witty, snarky yeah. um, superhero with these cute little one-liners is getting old, though. I mean, it was fun, but it was in that respect. Everybody is – Spider-Man in the Marvel Universe is the key of always picking on people, making fun of them as he hops around. He can't hit the son of a bitch, so on and so forth. And I, I get it. It's fun, but I'm getting sick of it. I'd like to uh, – I like to have a superhero movie that's not quite so quippy and trying really hard to be cute in certain aspects. It, it, the, the special effect, the coolest special effect in the whole damn movie was taking Michael Douglas and making him look like he was 30. Oh, wow. I mean, at the beginning, he walks out, they turn like, oh, my God, that is amazing. That was a coolest. But I mean, the shrinking, the ants, cool. I expected that stuff. But that piece of it, as real as he looked, that was amazing. Huh. That was really well done. Okay, next one. On the Gnome Stew, there is an article out there. Got a link to it. It's called Never Look a Gift Orc in the Mouth. So John Arcadian from Gnome Stew was uh, <coughs> he's playing the One Ring. And while he was playing it, re- read the story there. Basically what happened is there was a Lord of the Rings LARP that was going on. And one of the guys showed up in full orc garb, like headpiece, mask, equipment, like Elf faces like pasted to him and foam sword the oh, whole bit. Nice picture. And he showed up. Yeah, he showed up to pe- to play. And Arcadian's like, you know what I'm gonna do? Um, I'm gonna change this around. So it's the party against the orc. It was this. He he took it and ran with it. Read it. I can't do it justice paraphrasing here in in die roll, but take a look at it. It's pretty cool. Um, that's one of those things. If I had if I had been a part of that in a con game, that would be that had just been awesome. Hilarious. Number three, Jeff D., um, he gets to keep his rights to publish Villains of Vigilantes. I've got a little link out there to the Facebook page where they've been talking about this. I think there's still I think there's still some copyright trademark stuff about the term itself, Villains of Vigilantes, but Jeff D. and, a couple, and another gentleman, I can't recall his name, but they're trying to get it back in their hands. So I wish them the best. I'm not a huge Villains, vig, villains and Vigilantes fan insofar as I don't play a lot of superhero games. But when the original creators and the people involved in stuff can try to get it back and get things under control, I think that's pretty cool. So good luck to you, Jeff. I hope you make that work. And the last one I have is folks are going to be at Gen Con. I'm not going this year. Sean's not going. I want to see pictures. If you guys throw stuff out there, I'd be happy to load up the Gaming and BS, our community, show us some cool photos you get. If somebody out there is a Gaming BS fan, you guys um, go to the uh, – you play better games, damn it. That's the seminar that Phil and Chris from Mr. Director Mark are running at Gen Con again this year. If you go there, snap a picture of those guys, 
throw it up there. Uh, I'd love to see it. Um, actually, I would like to have more pictures of Phil and Chris in our community than in their community. I think that'd be freaking funny as hell. <laughs> so anyway, what? Um, in seriousness, though, if you go there, you see Phil and Chris, try to you know shake their hands, say good job, guys, and all that stuff. But send us your pictures. There's cool cosplay stuff. Show us the games you buy. I you know I can't go, so I want to live vicariously through you, gamers. Show me your show me your Gen Con. And if you approach Phil, um, ask him for an index card. And if he doesn't provide one, go, dude, you're totally full of BS. <laughs> and let us know that you did that. Nice. Nice. All right. World War Cthulhu, Cubicle 7 Kickstarter funded. I didn't even know this was out there. It's done, but don't be afraid because it'll be coming to a store near you. Well, at least the retail outlets next year. 256-page core-setting book, extra material on the intelligence theaters in the Cold War, as well as a section on operations in the UK, limited edition deluxe version foil stamped of the core-setting book, six-part campaign called Yesterday's Men, six-scenario supplement, covert actions, player's guide, a set of die-cut handouts. I think that's the only thing that you will not be able to get that is from the Kickstarter, which is the die-cut handouts. But otherwise, it's Cold War, Cthulhu, um... If you didn't get in on that, look for it next year. I thought it was kind of cool. Check it out. August, RPG a day. Hashtag RPG a day. So uh, Mr. Chapman did this, I think, last year. And it was like, I think it was for the month of August last year as well. So every day there was a post this, post this, post your top five games. Post your favorite character. Post uh, this, that. So every so day, all those online challenges to put a thing up. An online meme. So RPG a day is happening again this August. We'll have a video in the show notes that explains what that's all about, and, and I'm sure you're going to see it at least on Google Plus. It was a huge, big deal. I saw it every day on some of them. I started doing them. I think I got to like day seven last year, and then I was like, kind of fizzled out on it. But check it out. It's always cool to see those, uh, everybody. Actually, I enjoyed other people's posts on what they did um, for that day and what they posted. Um, Number three, Anti-Gen Con, which I'm not a big fan of the name. Um, That's a little little harsh. Yeah. But anyways, uh, Yez, uh, I don't know if it's Yez or Jez. Jez Gordon is kind of doing it. It's an online convention. So if you don't get to Gen Con and you want a game, it's Kind of like, hey, let's put some events together, Roll20, Google Hangouts. And for those that couldn't make it to Gen Con, let's just kind of game on during that time period. So I have a link to the show notes to a public post on Google Plus that outlines some of the details of the anti-Gen Con piece event. Cool. Yeah. That's it, man. That's all I got. You got anything else, Brett? Um, do, 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 do. No, I think we're good. All right, I think we are good. Well, as good as we can be. As good as good as it gets. <laughs> yeah. Um. So if you found the show, um, you know, interesting, leave us a review on iTunes. I think we got like twelve total up there. We could use a couple more. The only reason we solicit that is because it does get us up. You know, kind of more exposure in the rankings of a lot of RPG podcasts, and then people can go there and go like, oh, I'll listen to this one. Um. If we don't get a lot of reviews, then we may not come up and they'll listen to other ones. And, you know, if they don't like us after the fact, that's cool. Absolutely. 
But otherwise... Cool. And, if, and as I say, if you're at Gen Con, make sure you find uh, Chris and Phil. Give them hell. Yeah, that's right. Uh, otherwise, I am one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night, good game and all.